If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 12. Now that we got that spiritual stuff out of the way. Matthew chapter 12, page 665. Now we won't be to this passage for quite a while. So I'm having you turn to it now. Because when I get ready, I'm just going to jump right in. And you're going to be there because you've marked it or whatever. And you'll notice when we get there that the page I told you is actually one page before the right page. It just didn't seem right to put that page number on the screen at the front of the church. Um, so turn to Matthew 12. We're going to call it page 665. If you're confused, ask your neighbor and they can, they can help you with that. Okay. All right. So in John chapter four, we see this great scene from Jesus's life where he cuts through Samaria on his way from the Northern part of the country down to the Southern part of the country. And we don't think much about that, right? He's just going the straight shot, but that was really not done in those days. In those days you went around Samaria. Samaria was kind of the other side of the tracks, so to speak. And so there's a lot of racism and ethnic uh, stuff going on there. It could be dangerous for outsiders to come through there, for Jewish people to go through. And so Jesus just went right at it and went straight through. It's like he was making a statement on purpose. And he landed in Samaria at the well outside of town while his followers went on into town to get lunch. And some people suggest that it was just he happened to be there at that time when there was a lady out there. Other people suggest that maybe he was going out there intentionally knowing she was coming. I tend to think the second. But either way, there was one lady out there drawing water while Jesus was out there by the well and while his disciples went in to buy lunch. And he has this interaction with this woman. Now, you may say, well, why, she, why was she out there? Because all the women of the village all came out early in the morning when it was cool. And it was kind of a social thing. They could support each other, talk to each other. It took a while for everybody to draw their water. It was a chance for them all to catch up and support each other. It was very encouraging. But this lady didn't come then. She came out by herself later when it was hot. Well, why would you do that? Well, she was rejected by the, the village people, not the band, the, the people in the village. She was rejected by them. And so because of that, and, was, and the Bible's clear, it was because of some, some sexual misconduct on her part that she was rejected. And so because of that, she chose not to go out with everybody else, and she chose to come in. And Jesus made it very clear he knew what she was facing, and he didn't approve with all of her actions, but he loved her. And she felt accepted by him, and they had this positive interaction. And there's a quote in, in there, a line from Jesus, that actually we used almost 20 years ago now to get the name Wellspring for this, because we wanted to be a church that meet, met people like this woman who wasn't necessarily a church person, wasn't necessarily invited to all the church socials, but we wanted to love her where she was, and we wanted to impact her life uh, for the better and lead her to the Lord, just like Jesus did. And so the line comes out of John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, where it says, Jesus said to this woman, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, the water out of the well, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's where the name Wellspring came from, right there. You may not have known that. Because we want to be that kind of church. So he interacts with this woman. As he keeps talking to her, his disciples are coming back with lunch from town about the time she's going into town to tell everybody what had just happened because she felt so loved and accepted by this prophet, by this rabbi, this teacher. And so Jesus has this interaction with his disciples, and they're really confused because he's talking about food, and they think he's talking about physical food, but he's really talking about spiritual food. And they're like, did somebody buy him lunch? And there's this great funny line that goes on and there. But I want you to focus in on the idea that this woman went from being distant from God hurt by God's people, skeptical about faith in general. A lot of people find themselves there these days. 
And she went from that to being a passionate follower of God through Jesus Christ. And it all happened because of his words. And our words can play lots of different roles in people's lives. But this one specific role, helping a distant, hurt, skeptical person come to faith in Jesus, is maybe the most special of all of them. And Jesus says about this interaction, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, I want to stop a second because I, I think they were confused about his, that statement. They thought he was talking about lunch or like maybe somebody bought him lunch. Maybe, maybe he's hungry for something. Like they were confused on what he was saying. And I think it's great that, that John records them looking like idiots. I think that's funny to me. Uh, so they were confused about that. We're not confused about lunch. We know he's not talking about lunch, but I do have a question about it. And I want to make sure you don't miss the question because you know about lunch. What work was he referring to? He says this work is the work that God called him to do. And he, he didn't just do, but he didn't do anything in the story. I mean, we read this, we, if you read the story in John 4, he doesn't heal anybody. He doesn't cast out any demons. He doesn't pay this woman's electric bill or, or buy her a Habitat for Humanity house. Like, what work is he doing? It doesn't say him doing any work. But it's important to figure it out because he says that that work, whatever it is that God's called him to do, that work is like food for his soul. And that's important because that probably means it's like food for our soul too. So what did he do? What did he do? He, he spoke. That's all he did. That was all the work he did. Now he spoke with kindness. He spoke with empathy. He spoke with love. But that's all the work that he did. He just spoke words to this woman. And that apparently was the work that God was calling him to do in that moment. And that work, he says, was like food for his soul. You know, we're in this series, Hangry, if you've not been with us, where we talk about how just like you can be physically hungry and it lead to emotional or relational side effects where you're snapping at people or whatever. In the same way, if we don't have the spiritual nutrients that God designed us to have in our life spiritually, we can act hangry and have relational or emotional side effects, but they're not really about the things we think they are. They're really about we're hungry. We want some spiritual nutrients. And Jesus said that this work was like food for his soul. So hang on to that. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Just, just put a pin in that and, and keep that in your mind. Let me go over to Proverbs 18 a second. Proverbs 18, verse 20 says, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage. He talks about fruit and a harvest. Fruit and a harvest. The Bible says here in other places that our, our mouth is constantly sowing seeds. Constantly sowing seeds. And we're going to reap a harvest based on the seeds we choose to sow in the lives of other people. This sowing and reaping idea is all the way through the Bible. You see it again and again and again. Another example, Galatians chapter 6 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. So we reap what we sow. If you sow vegetables, you're going to reap vegetables. If you sow weeds, you're going to plant and reap, you're going to reap weeds. Now, that's true in a lot of things, lots of areas of our life that can be applied to, but I want us to think of it today in terms of our mouth in light of Proverbs chapter 18 that we just read, we'll come back to. We sow what, we reap what we sow. And I want you to notice Galatians starts with the phrase, do not be deceived. Paul says that because people are often deceived, that they think, I can sow weeds 
and I can reap and harvest vegetables. And that doesn't work that way. It's true of a lot of things in our life, but specifically, I want to focus in on our words. People are often deceived with their words. Many of us are deceived with our words because we think our words are inconsequential. Some of us think we can sow weeds and reap vegetables. Do not be deceived, Scripture says. So now let's apply that back to the Proverbs 18 that we had a minute ago. Proverbs 18 says, From the fruit of their mouth a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips they are satisfied. And then verse 21, the next verse says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words, the Bible says, have the power of life. You, you really got to catch, catch this. Our words have the power of life, and our words have the power to destroy. Now that may sound dramatic to you. You may not think your words have that kind of power. And if you don't believe that from the words from your mouth, I, I almost guarantee you do believe that from the words that somebody else has spoken into your life. Words that somebody else has said to you. Right now, most of us, if not all of us, are, are eating the fruit, to use the analogy, from seeds that someone else sowed in our lives years ago or in the lives of someone we really care about years ago. And we're reaping the fruit of that now. We're eating the fruit, if you want to use the analogy, from something they sowed years ago. And that fruit can be healthy and lead us to strength and we're grateful they sowed it in them. Or that fruit can be destructive and lead to unhealth. But the seeds are going to grow either way. And you're going to eat the fruit either way or you're going to sow it and send them off and somebody else is going to eat the fruit. But the fruit's going to be eaten either way. I mean, I can remember kind words that have been said to me decades ago. And I can remember hurtful words that were said to me decades ago. I remember my freshman year of speech, my, I took speech class my freshman year. Now, you, you probably don't believe this if you didn't know me as a freshman. Uh, but I took speech, I had an elective gap, I had a, a hole that I could put something else in, and I chose speech. It was not required, not because I enjoyed giving speeches or because I was good at it, neither were true. I was sick and tired of being afraid to talk in front of people, and so I thought, I'm going to take speech just to get over it. And then I regretted that decision all summer long. It's horrified. Like, what in the world am I doing? I would get so nervous, and I would be nauseous before I gave a speech. Like, like I remember, if I had to even like give like a book report or something, just a couple of minute presentation, I would be frantic until it was over, literally sick to my stomach. When I signed up at the end of my eighth grade year, I bit the bullet, and then I regretted it all summer long. Every day I thought, what in the world have you done to yourself? Now you've got to give stupid speeches. When I got up to do my first speech in speech class, you've heard the phrase, the person's knees were knocking together. I literally had my knees knocking together. I, was stand, I still remember, I was standing behind a solid podium. It wasn't like this. It was a solid podium. And I was glad because my legs were literally shaking and my knees were hitting each other because I was so scared to stand up in front of 20 people and give a speech. I remember year, later in the year, I had to do a reading for speech class. It wasn't something I wrote, it was a reading. I mean, no skill involved here at all. It's just getting up and read something somebody else wrote. And Mrs. Webb, my kind speech teacher, when I sat down and she was talking to me in the class about what I said, she said that Andy has an authoritative voice. 
I was a scrawny kid still recovering from puberty. I did not have an authoritative voice, uh, but she said I did, and I walked out of the class like, yes, I do. I have an authoritative voice. (laughs) And I still remember that today, all these years later. I mean, I don't know, would have, was that instrumental in me doing what I'm doing for my life? It's probably part of it, probably a piece. The reality is every time you talk, you're, you're planting seeds. Every time you talk, you're planting seeds. And eventually, somebody's going to eat the fruit. It may be you. It may be somebody else in their life. But, but somebody's going to eat that fruit because it's going to grow. I think it's interesting. The Hebrew word translated life in verse 21. There on the screen. That, that word life. That word is found 14 times in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. Where God brings the entire universe to life through just his words. 14 times. The Bible says that God brought life to the universe. And cosmologists today, whether they believe the Bible or not, cosmologists marvel at the fine-tuning of galaxies with the precise expansion rate and the gravitational pull and orbits and rotations that are all designed to work exactly together. And God brought it to life, all that fine-tuning, just with his word. He spoke it, and it was. The Bible says that God brought life to our planet, and scientists, they marvel at our planet, the precise distance from the sun, the impact of the moon's gravity on our tides and weather, the earth's rotation and tilt and gravity, all precisely fine-tuned. And God brought all of that to life with his word. The, The Bible says that God brought life to the fish in the oceans, God brought life to the birds in the sky, God brought life to the animals and the livestock and the creepy crawly things along the ground, all precisely tuned to work together, to live together, to be an ecosystem together, and he brought it about just with his words. And then the crescendo of all of creation, it built and built and built, and the crescendo of all of creation was people. People have always been the top thing. If you don't feel that, you need to read the first two chapters of Genesis again. You're the crescendo of creation. And God formed Adam with his hands. And he breathed breath into Adam. Even more personal than words, he breathed the breath of life into Adam. And then he he took a rib from Adam's side and created Eve so they could walk together. Not Adam out in front leaving her behind. Not Eve out in front leaving him behind. But side by side, walking through life And then God gave Eve the breath of life. And then he granted, catch this, he granted the power of life and death to the breath that he's given to you. That breath that he loaned us, you don't get to keep it forever. The breath that he loaned us can be used to bring life. And the breath that he loaned us can be used to destroy. And Jesus said that that same breath is not only impactful to them, But that same breath is like food for his soul. The Apostle John later described creation week this way. In the beginning was the word. I love that John describes Jesus, the mind behind all of creation as the word. The beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him this word was life and that life was the light of all mankind. And then God made us in his image, in his likeness. And then this word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then we read about this same word, Jesus, who is full of grace and full of truth. 
Jesus, whose mouth oozed out graceful words and whose mouth oozed out truthful words. And then this same Jesus, this word, gave us the words we're going to look at today out of Matthew 12 that's about our words, which I think is just so powerful. Matthew 12, 34, I had you turn to it earlier, says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why are our words so powerful? I mean, why are our words so significant? It's because they're tethered to our heart. The the mouth only speaks what the heart is full of. Verse 35 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. I, I said tethered, and that's, a, that's, that's true. I think a better word picture is of a well. Jesus says a good man brings up good things from the good stored in him, and that overflows out of our mouth. And an evil man brings up evil things from the evil stored in him, and that comes out of our mouth. It's, it's the idea that when you hear a person's words, you're not just hearing their voice, you're hearing their heart. Which is why when you're really close to someone, Their words can impact you for good or for evil even more than everybody else. Because it's not just their voice you're hearing. You're hearing their heart about you. Verse 36 says, But I tell you that everyone who, everyone will give, have to, I can't read. I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. That word translated empty there at the, towards the end of verse 36 is sometimes translated differently than empty. Sometimes it's translated careless or useless, worthless. It literally means unprofitable, of, of no value. It's, it's, it's sometimes used to describe something that's lazy or, uh, quote, doing nothing helpful. So, so what does a word look like? What does a sentence or a paragraph or a statement look like that does, quote, nothing helpful? It's empty, which is how they translate it in this passage. It's empty. What do you think Jesus is doing here? Like, what, what picture is Jesus giving us? I... I let me tell you what I think it is. I I can't find any scholar who agrees with me, which means it's probably wrong. So a grain of salt here. Uh, But here's what I think Jesus is saying uh, here to us. Jesus saying words are powerful. I mean, Jesus who knew the Bible better than any of us do, know that Solomon said that the tongue has the power of life and death, that when we plant, we're sowing and reaping, we'll reap that harvest, whether vegetables or weeds. Jesus knew all of that Old Testament He knows that no word is truly insignificant. No word is really empty. And Jesus is saying, all those words that you think are empty, all those words that you think are insignificant, you're going to have some explaining to do when you stand before my Father and explain why you chose those words to talk to his kids about. Those not-so-insignificant words that really are very significant. And if that's true, and I believe it's 100% the truth, if that's true, how is this going to change our life? Because it has to. I mean, some messages, I don't, I don't think this is true actually, but some messages you may, you may read or some passages out of the Bible you may read and go, oh, cool, and then just shut it and go on to something else. This is not one of those. 
If, if our words bring life and death, if our words have the power to bring life or destroy, if we're going to have to give account before God for every word we've chosen, we've got to handle this differently. So how are we going to handle it differently? I would suggest to you that our world needs us to do that differently. But I would suggest to you that our souls need that too. Because Jesus said that speaking words correctly brought life to his soul. It's like food for his soul. So Jesus said speaking to that woman, encouraging her, comforting her, challenging her, was like food for his soul. And if we're not doing that, and many of us are not very often, if we're not doing that, how do we expect to not be spiritually hangry and have that bleed out into other parts of our life? I mean, some of us have convinced ourselves, I believe, that this is just a personality thing or a temperament thing like, or an upbringing thing. Well, you know, people whose parents are really encouraging and have an extroverted personality, of course they're going to do that. But for the rest of us, we're not really. I don't think our temperament or personality excuses us from biblical mandates. And I think this is a biblical mandate. We've got to use our words to bring life. And the Bible says, if we're not doing that as God intends, that people around us will pay a price but we will too because that was food designed for our souls. I mean, this is one of those places where the giver and the receiver both benefits or both lacks based on it happening. Like if you're, if you're using your words correctly, you're nourishing the souls of those that you're speaking to. You're, you're sowing vegetables. You're sowing life into their soul and somebody's going to eat that fruit. They're going to eat it. You're going to eat it. Maybe somebody in their life will eat it. Future spouses or something, they'll eat it. But, but also, if you're not doing that, you as the giver are also lacking because that's food for your soul that God intended you to get. So if that's true, is it any wonder in our caustic, sarcastic, verbally aggressive society that our culture feels dark and is getting darker? Because they're not receiving it, and we're not either. I hear a lot of Christians talk about you know, bemoan the darkness of our world as if we're not called to be the light of the world. You know, if, I want to get, if, I come in, if you come into this room during the week, there's no windows. If the lights are out, it's really dark. You can't see anything in this room. But we don't open the door and shoot the darkness out. We turn the lights on and the darkness goes away. And you and I are called to be the light of the world. You and I are called to sow seeds with our mouth. That's not true. We're going to sow seeds either way. You and I are called to choose which seeds we sow and to be the light of the world. I mean, is it possible that the key to bringing God's light and love and grace and truth to our world is Christians, forget the rest of the culture for a minute, but Christians choosing to use the breath that God has loaned to them to praise him and use that breath to, to breathe life into people around them. The recipients will be blessed by that, and the givers will receive food for their souls. Let me, let me give you a couple of specifics here, because I don't, I don't want us to walk away with some general ideas. and like, Let's do something specific here. Number one, I want, I want to challenge us to speak life outside our home. I'm going to divide the areas of our life into two for a second. Let's speak life outside our home. This is not an extracurricular part of being a Christian. I think sometimes people feel that way. Like a Christian means you love God, you, you read the Bible on occasion, you pray every now and then, and then some of those Christians are also nice 
and speak nice words and kind words and invest in people. And some don't, but that's kind of take it or leave it. That's not true. This is foundational for being a follower of Jesus. Let me give you just a small sampling. A small sampling. I could have taken a lot longer, and I'm going to go kind of rapid fire just to try to overwhelm you with the amount of things it says. Commands. Like James 5, where it says, pray for each other. That's a command. Or Romans 12, where it says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. 1 Thessalonians 5, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. That's a command. Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, honor God. How? By accepting each other. Galatians 5, serve one another humbly in love. Galatians 6, carry one another's heavy loads. All of us have heavy loads. And if you do that, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to to one another. Those are commands. Forgiving each other, command, just as in Christ God forgave you. And 1 Peter caps it off by saying, above all else, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. You cannot live an authentic Christian life and not be pouring good seed into the life of other people. You can't. It's not an option. That's not a thing. You just made up a new category. It's not there. So speak life outside your home. But can I just, before I move on, can I just encourage you to to be intentional about this? Because most of us naturally don't do this. I don't naturally do this. There's a few of you freaks that naturally do this, but the rest of us don't naturally do this. So you're going to need to put this into your head regularly. Like if you commute into office, just decide on the way to work, pray to God and say, I want to bring life into my office. Will you just give me a chance? Because I promise you there's hurting people in your office and you can bring life to them if you're looking for it. Maybe when you're driving home, God, I'm tired, it's been a long day, help me to bring life into my home. Like, just be intentional about doing this in your life. When you go to the ball field, or when you go to wherever you happen to go, when you go to a restaurant, bring life to your waitress or waiter. Bring life to the checkout person at Costco, or wherever it is you go. Like, just bring life to people, and be intentional, look for ways. It can be kind of a game. God opens up opportunities and lets you do that, just Bring life to those outside your home. Number two, speak life inside your home. You knew this was coming. I mean, isn't it true that we sometimes treat strangers better than we treat our own family? I'm feeling a little awkward that nobody else thinks that's true. I, I do that. I'm feeling a little, a little vulnerable just now. I mean, you have an opportunity to forever and dramatically impact those inside your home that you live with in ways that people who don't have as much access to them just can't. I mean, there's just something about that, that closeness that allows you access to their, their feelings and heart, and you can be a light to their life. This could be a roommate, this could be a spouse, this could be a child or a parent, but if you have people close by in your life, inside your home, speak life into them. Proverbs 18 says, The human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear and you're more likely to be crushed in spirit by those inside your home than by anybody else. You just, you just are. And some of you are eating fruit now. Some of your loved ones are eating fruit now that somebody inside their home years ago sowed into their life. 
And you wish that wasn't true, so sow life inside the ones that you live with now. Jimmy Evans is a, a marriage expert. He said, every good marriage is made up of lots of good words. Every bad marriage is made up of lots of bad words or no words. So if your relationship, if your marriage, if your, if your situation with your kids, if, if you have a relationship that's not what you want it to be, you can do one of two things. You can either focus on what they need to do and they need to change and they need to be and they need to, and that won't do anything other than make you resentful because you can't change them. You already tried that. The other thing you can do is focus on bringing more good words yourself into the relationship, into their life, and you'll change it because you've changed it. I mean, honestly, this has been a conviction for me all week. Um, as I've begun wrestling with this message as the week went on, I, I talk for a living, right? Um, and yet sometimes my family, it's like the, it's like the, the plumber whose toilet's always broken. Uh, sometimes my family has a disobedient husband and a disobedient father who does not do what God would have them to do towards they lo- the ones they love the most. With the breath that God has given to him, and I've got to do better. And I'm, I'm suspecting that if I've got to do better, some of you have to do better too. So speak life inside your home, speak life outside your home, uh, and then third is speak to God for life. I really am assuming right now, at least some of us are thinking, how in the world am I supposed to do that? I am so empty, how can I pour into anybody else's life? Like I don't have anything, I don't have any life to give, I don't have enough myself, how am I supposed to take it and give it to somebody else? Like that sounds great, Pollyanna-ish, but I don't have it to give. And maybe, maybe we're, we're trying to generate that ourselves and have forgotten what Jesus told us about that. Jesus told his disciples that a relationship with God is like God is a vine and we're a bunch of branches that are connected. And he said some branches get disconnected and they're all lifeless and empty and, and dead. But those that are connected, that are hooked to the vine, they don't produce life, but life comes through the vine. It brings up from the roots and it, from the rain and the nutrients, and it brings life up the vine and into the branches. And then those branches that are connected, they automatically get life in them, and they produce leaves and fruit, and they're vibrant and alive because the vine gave them life. And if you don't feel like you have any life to give, talk to God about that. And I'm not saying it like a dismissive, I'll just pray about it, it'll be fine. Like, no, really, like say to God, I, I don't have any life to pump into those in my life and I need it. I, I need that. And I feel empty and I can't fill anybody up because I feel empty. Because here's what happens. It becomes self-perpetuating where you feel empty so you're not giving it to anybody else, but then you're not getting that food for your soul, which makes you more hangry and empty. And God's got to break that cycle. you acknowledge him as the leader of your life, when you acknowledge him as, as your savior, he'll forgive you of your sins and he'll bring the gift of his spirit into your life. If you've never given your life to Christ, that's a great start. If you've given your life to Christ, but you're not walking with him, ask him to fill you up with his life. The disciples would often be in moments where they, I would say they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, they'd already become Christians. They'd already had the Holy Spirit given to them. But in this moment, through prayer and God's movement, they became filled up with the Holy Spirit. And there's moments, I think, where Christians can be saved, going to heaven when they die, but not feeling filled with the Holy Spirit. And ask God to fill you up, to bring life into you. If you've never given your life to Christ, 
Ask him to be your leader. Ask him to save you of your sins. My, last week, my friend Ralph, 81 years old, Ralph declared to God and to all of us that it was time. I think we have a picture of Ralph. You have a picture of Ralph? But if you weren't here last week, you should watch the video of that. 81 years old, Ralph decided it was time to, to give his life to the Lord, to ask God to be his Lord and Savior. And his, he was forgiven of his sins. The Bible says he was given the gift of the Holy Spirit, life from God. He wants to give you life as well. I want you to bow your head with me and let's, let's pray. God, we live in a dark world. We live in a dark world that, that needs your life. So God, I pray that you would fill us up. Those of us who are following you, I pray that you'd fill us up with your spirit, that we would devote time. We wouldn't allow sin or distraction to separate us from you. We wouldn't allow those things to keep us from being filled up with the life you have for us. And then I pray that you would use us to put life and seeds out into the world that bring life to the souls and nourishment to our own life. God, for those who are, who are not walking with you, they've never given themselves to you, they've, they've allowed themselves to walk away, God, would you, would you draw them to your son just like you drew this woman who had kind of a rough past, Lots of mistakes, lots of wrong turns and, and, and hurdles, bad relationships. You knew exactly where she was at, but you accepted her where she was and called her to be something different. Forgave her because of what Jesus did for us. May it be true, God, that Christians, that we are the most humble people in the world because we know that we're deserving of standing before you to give an account for every empty word. But we're also aware that you've offered to forgive us of all of those sins. May we be the most humble people others ever meet because we understand the depths of what you've had to pay for on our account. Help us to use our breath, God, to honor you to speak to your kids with the life that you give us. We pray in the name of Jesus.